The show is really awkward and hard to watch. There's some like very forced dad jokes that don't land well. It is totally discordant with what I thought Chris Lick was going to do with Jake Tapper. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, October 21st, and today Dylan Byers is here to talk about a busy week on his beat in the media world. Rupert Murdoch wants to merge Fox and News Corp into one media empire after breaking them up a decade ago. Dylan also checks in on CNN's primetime experiment with Jake Tapper. Later on, Alex Bigler is here for another Feedback Friday segment where Alex interrogates me about my dorky love of public radio and why it matters. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm joined today by Dylan Byers to talk about the media. And there's a lot of news in the media these days, so we're going to get right to it. Dylan, the biggest story in media this week is the proposed remerger of Fox and News Corp. Fox is obviously the home to Fox News and Fox Sports, News Corp, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, Dow Jones, HarperCollins, a bunch of brands. Is this merger going to happen, first of all? But also, can you give us a little backstory on, you know, why they split up in the first place? I mean, this is the Rupert Murdoch empire we're talking about. He split them up. Now he wants to put them back together. Why is that? First of all, will it happen? Yes, I believe it will because it's what Rupert wants. And though Fox shareholders don't sort of see the logic of the deal right now, their stock dropped like 9 or 10% on the first day of trading after the news of the, the proposal broke. My guess is they will come to see the logic, and that's by virtue of what has changed, which is that 
for a time, all of those publishing assets that you mentioned were a drag on the entertainment business and the television business that Fox had. But post the sale of the Fox Entertainment assets to Disney for $71 billion, post uh, sort of in a world where the journal has actually been growing subscriptions, you know, most importantly in a world where scale is really significant and important for a company that is so much smaller than the Netflixes and the Disneys to say nothing of the the Amazons and the Apples, you need that scale to compete. So I just think there's sort of a new logic here, which makes a lot of sense. And then I also think, and this is the thing that is particularly interesting to me, Rupert Murdoch is 91 and vital as he may be, I think there's some legacy and estate planning and some succession planning that's going on here. Succession, you say? <laughs> succession. His elder son, Lachlan, has been sort of co-chairman, co-CEO with him at both Fox Corps and News Corps for some time now. But this sort of sets the stage for him to consolidate his power over the combined company and really sort of make it his own as Rupert sort of advances into his 90s. And that opens up, I think, for Murdochologists and close watchers of everything that Fox and Fox News does, opens up a lot of really interesting questions about what that means for the combined company. And Lachlan is known as the more ideological right wing of the Suns. Is that correct? Yes. He is said to be further right than his father. Other people say that, you know, in fact, his brand of politics is is more in alignment with the Wall Street Journal than it is with Fox News. I talked to uh, Patty Manning, who's an Australian journalist and the author of a forthcoming biography on Lachlan. And he said Lachlan's politics can be hard to pin down. And in many ways, he's not somebody who wants to get terribly involved with the editorial outlook of his publications. But all of that said, it's hard to look at sort of the financial contributions he's made to Mitch McConnell and things like that and, and not ignore the fact that he is sort of unapologetically conservative. If you work at the Wall Street Journal, is it your expectation now that the paper is going to be a little more like Fox News? Or is it basically we're going to run everything like it's been just independently? This is a concern I've heard bubble up. And you definitely can see the sort of media matters for America fever dream of, you know, oh, my God, they are going to foxify Wall Street Journal. And there are even concerns in James Murdoch's or, you know, that that sort of world, which is I would say on the other side of the political spectrum and the two brothers are estranged now and sort of have always had a dysfunctional relationship. But yes, that is this sort of conspiratorial concern that exists out there. I don't want to say it's not well-founded, but I don't think there's enough evidence, at least yet, to suggest that that is going to happen. First of all, I think that Lachlan is a businessman at the end of the day. Yes, you've got in Fox News an incredibly lucrative, powerful, sometimes batshit crazy, conservative juggernaut. And in the Wall Street Journal, you have something else that is also a good business, which is caters to a sort of different kind of conservative. Having both of those businesses can be very useful and aligning them might not make sense from a business perspective. So I don't think that those concerns, I understand why they exist. I'm not sure they're particularly 
well-founded. I think that at the end of the day, Lachlan is going to run this thing as a businessman, not as a sort of, you know, partisan um, advocate or anything like that. Okay. I'll hold you to that. Well, everyone, everyone like bookmark that part of this podcast. Yeah. I mean, if I'm wrong, if I'm I'm wrong, you know, (laughs) we got, we got bigger concerns. Staying within the TV universe, something else going on in media. CNN is experimenting with the nine o'clock hour, which used to be held by Chris Cuomo. He was the highest rated host in CNN primetime, I believe. They're sort of doing this like revolving chair strategy and they put Jake Tapper in that spot, at least until the midterms. How is that going for CNN? Not great, Bob. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not. Look, before this started, you know, I think, my God, you know, talk about how powerful Fox News is. When we're talking about CNN and MSNBC, we're, we're at a very distant remove from that. In that world, in that very insular, navel-gazing world, CNN, I think, believed with Rachel Maddow going to just Monday nights and Alex Wagner, a decidedly smart but decidedly lower wattage star, taking over the rest of that time, Tuesdays through Fridays, they thought, okay, the hour is in play and CNN can compete and we can become this sort of a dominant force in prime time now that Maddow is mostly off the scene. That's really not happening. The ratings just in the first week plus, not only are you seeing Tapper losing the all-important advertiser demo to Wagner more often than not, something's happening to him that was happening to Alex Wagner in her first days. He is losing a significant chunk from his lead-in. Historically, Chris Cuomo built upon Anderson Cooper's audience. We are seeing Jake Tapper start to lose some of that audience now this week. The ratings in that demo are becoming perilously close to the point where he's going to have under 100,000 viewers between the ages of 25 and 54. I don't want to pass my judgment on the specifics of the show. I'm not a programmer. The show is really awkward and hard to watch. There's some like very forced jokes, dad jokes that don't land well. There's some like premeditated hand movements that are meant to look sort of organic and in the moment. This is different from his afternoon show, you're saying? The afternoon show was so in the vein almost of a Wolf Blitzer. It was hard. It was here's the news. It was facts first. And that, I thought, was the whole premise of Chris Licht's CNN. It was going to be hard news facts first, and that is why you would put Jake Tapper in primetime. And instead, we're getting this thing, which is a mashup of like the sort of Rachel Maddow monologue coupled with an attempt at Colbert-style late-night humor around the news. Now, when you get past that really awkward opening monologue and you actually get to Jake interviewing newsmakers... It is a substantively better show because news is what Jake is actually good at. Why Chris Licht thought that trying to turn Jake into like, uh, you know, a sort of funny guy is completely lost on me. I think it reflects what is actually the greater problem here for CNN, which is that Chris Licht is supposed to be a CEO and chairman of this media company. And CEOs and chairmen or chairwomen of media companies should be thinking about big, broad questions about how to reposition their brand for the 21st century when things are digital, when you need to have bundles of offerings. Look at the New York Times. As the CEO of the New York Times likes to say, 
they're not just a house, they're a neighborhood. They've got so much to offer you and they're with you on all of these different platforms. And Chris Licht, as a producer of late night and morning news shows, is still thinking about like moving talent around and ratings wars. And it's just, it's not where the battle for the future of media is being fought. It has a particularly awkward face in it in the way that they are trying to position Jake Tapper. And it is totally discordant with what I thought Chris Licht was going to do with Jake Tapper. But couldn't they still be in like experimenting phase? I mean, like Lick's been there, what, like six months now, maybe even less. Like they're still, they're allowed to like tinker. But here's what I would say to that. First of all, Chris Lick knew he was going to get this job a long time before he, before we broke the news that he was getting the job. One. Two, he had and said he was going to take the summer to experiment with some things before coming to some firm decisions in the fall. Summer came and went. He sort of slowly got rid of breaking news chirons and and talent that had made names for themselves by beating their chests and going after Trump. And then finally, ahead of the midterms, he arrived at this experiment, which is still an experiment. And meanwhile, you are not only, first of all, yeah, cable news generally is like experiencing this existential crisis in terms of figuring out what it's going to look like in an all digital, all streaming world. But also just in terms of those like very insular considerations about competing with MSNBC, you are missing extraordinary opportunities. The one person who actually matters in non-Fox cable news, Rachel Maddow, has effectively given up her post. And you're here sort of like tinkering around and it's like, whether you're playing the game you should be playing, the big important game about the, you know, the future of media and the future of the CNN asset, or you're playing this sort of small ball game of nightly ratings, you're losing on both fronts. What is the operating thesis here? What, are you, what, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Because it, it's so confusing to me. I think that's a fair assessment. All right, Dylan, thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. All right, man. Cheers. When we come back, Alex Bigler is here for this week's Feedback Friday, in which I geek out on public radio. Welcome back, everybody. As we glide into the weekend, we like to finish the week out here at the powers that be with our Friday segment, Feedback Friday, mm-hmm. starring Alex Bigler. Starring. A colleague. Yeah, you're the star of this segment. Put a star on the office for me. That's great. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. I think one reason I like this segment, Alex, is I don't really know what you're going to talk to me about. So I just sort of sit back and let the curveballs come and see if I strike out. So fire away. <laughs> well, the first curveball is coming. That was a great way of asking because I wanted to know how um, how Boone was taking the Dodgers loss. I know he's a big fan. Boone is a golden retriever who doesn't speak English. You know, it's hard to tell, mm-hmm. but he is not wearing his Dodgers uh, kerchief anymore around his neck. He's migrated to his LSU Tigers uh, for the rest of the season. Well, speaking of our fellow baseball disappointed Dodger fans wanted to shout out Matt Bellany because the town was named one of Vulture's best podcasts of 2022, which is great for him. But like, Peter, either you and I need to step up our game on the powers that be or Matt's got to chill. Like, we're supposed to be equal partners here. I'm pumped for Matt. Nicholas Kwa, the author of this piece who curated this list of wonderful podcasts, writes 
of Matt Bellany's The Town. If the entertainment business now feels a bit like spectator sport, then it's only natural we'd get sports radio style coverage. And to that end, Matthew Bellany's The Town, an extension of his insider puck newsletter, is an exemplar of the form with all that entails. For industry nerds like myself, it's utter catnip. I mean, I do think, like, if you're talking about explaining the entertainment business to a wider audience and doing it um, with humor and honesty and pulling no punches. Like Matt isn't just like the exemplar of the form, like he is the form. In LA, it's like you have all the trade publications who just rewrite press releases. And then you have Matt who tells you what's really going on to use a phrase that's way overused in podcast world. But I feel like he does. He just also loves the industry and you can tell no matter what he does. So I'm super happy for him. Well, here's a great segue into a question that we got from a reader, because not only are you wearing a public radio t-shirt right now, but we received a letter from a loyal listener who kind of prodded us to say, you know, you guys talk about media of all different sorts, but you never really talk about public media and particularly public radio, that it's a interesting strategic area, legacy business that's trying to transition to digital, that with a huge impact and reach, this person told me that NPR has 24 million listeners across its broadcast shows, which I had no idea. And so I kind of wanted to bring this note to you and get your thoughts on public radio. And I think you're a fan, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm wearing a Marfa public radio shirt right now. Marfa, Texas. I have two of them, actually. I have a KPCC shirt, KCRW shirt. I need a WCVE shirt from my hometown in Richmond. I have always listened to public radio. It's always been on in my house when I was growing up. Um, when I got a ride to school in like middle school or high school, I would put on NPR. When I got my car in high school, I'd listen to NPR. The morning and evening shows, at least on NPR nationally, are to me extremely efficient delivery vehicles for what's going on in the news. I work from home a lot, so I can put it on my Sonos and it's ambient. So I don't have to like actively be reading something to drink in what's going on. Here in LA, there's a very robust ecosystem. Um, KPCC and KCRW are the two ones here. KCRW is still going after the music nerds. Uh, They don't do a ton of news. KPCC does so much local news coverage. I learn a lot about LA from them. The other thing too about public radio that I find valuable is people who talk about the death of local news. I feel like talking about one thing, which is the death of local newspapers. And the people talking about that are a lot of print reporters. Sure, some local radio stations have folded, but public radio has one of the last serious like, and most robust like, local news coverage in this country that exists. Like, There's local news stations everywhere. Like I'm wearing a Marfa, Texas one. At those radio stations, you're getting coverage of local issues, water, crime, politics, education, and they're holding it down in in local markets. And I think it's really important to support local news, obviously, but local radio (laughs) is really, really, really important in places where local TV frequently covers Crime weather sports, they're doing the hard work of journalism. The other thing I will say about national NPR, I think a lot of national news organizations, particularly on the TV side, certainly print, they have drifted a little bit into their partisan corners. 
public radio gets knocked as like national pinko radio and it's liberal <laughs> and whatever. By the way, I think they cover a little too much of culture and identity stuff. Every time I turn on NPR, it's something else about identity politics. I think uh, that's <laughs> a little overdone. At the same time, I don't think public radio is actually too far to the left. I mean, they're one of the last places that are booking Republican guests. Like I listen to like All Things Considered and like Republicans go on NPR. And Republicans are increasingly not going on CNN and certainly not MSNBC. And like they view the New York Times with unique hostility. But like Republicans know that a lot of people listen to public radio and they go on. You know, it might not always be like a friendly interview, but they're actually going on. And that to me signals that like at least public radio is and their reporters and producers and editors are curious about the world and understand that like someone in this country has to hold down <laughs> not the middle. But the um, cue closely to traditional journalism and its values. And I love public radio for that. And that is the end of my um, soliloquy. That was wonderful. I also just have a, a special place in my heart as a former disc jockey for the Gettysburg College radio station with the Bigler beat every week. So, What was your genre? Oh, I would play everything. Once I played The Who, just same album five times in a row, just because I felt like people needed to be educated. So, um, you know, we were canceled quickly, but it's uh, I, I just have a, a real respect for it. But anyway, I'm thrilled that we had a listener and have listeners who write in to say things, not just, you know, their feedback, not just being, tell that Peter Hamby he swears too much, but actually saying, you know, hey, this is really interesting. And here's an area that I would love Puck's take on. I would love if you covered this a little bit more. So keep this type of feedback coming in. All right. Well, Peter, it's been too long. Got to do this more often. We sure do. We sure do. Thanks for coming on, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 